Come with us on a journey into the unknown, the unexplained, and the unbelievable. We will test your senses and challenge your beliefs. A world where science and religion clash. Or do they? You will meet real people and hear real stories, but you will not believe. You will witness strange sights and hear strange sounds, but you will not believe. This is the New England Ghost Project. Welcome to the Nightmare. Good evening, everyone, and welcome to another edition of Ghost Chronicles International in the year that wasn't. I am Ron Kolick, your host, the gatekeeper of the realm of the unknown, the unexplained, and the unbelievable New England's own Van Helsing. And of course, this is the first of two hours of Ghost Chronicles Radio, if you can't get enough. Anyways, uh, we want to thank all our listeners who have really grown over the past uh, year, and we appreciate that. Uh, so there you go. And with me now, all the way from the UK and Wales specifically, is the gold standard in ghost hunting, the godfather of ghost hunting, the founder of parascience, Mr. Steve Parsons. Good evening. Don't overdo it, though. What's that? Did I miss something? I don't know. Did you? I, I don't know. I don't oh, know. Well, I love the way you talk. Thank you. It's just like so, yeah, like whatever. Yeah. yeah. Whatever, Mel. You know, I'm all full of energy, and you're Mr. Dead. No, well, well yeah. I well, look at the time. It's uh, it's after eleven at night here. Wow, wow, wow! You want wah, some wah, cheese wah, with that wah, wine? Wah. Jeez. Wah, wah, wah. Get back in the stocks. Yeah. Anyways, be long. Yeah. So uh, we've got some uh, thunderstorms. We had you had it one time when we were doing the Tesla one. Remember those? Yeah, I do. Yeah. Very appropriate. But uh, tonight we 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 got no thunderstorms, but we do have sixty mile an hour winds. Yeah, we got high winds too. So, but uh, they haven't reached me yet. So I'm thinking it's going to miss me because I oh, honestly aren't thought you supposed I... to be uh, whereabouts? Isn't there a hurricane delta coming in at some point? Yeah, someplace. Yeah. But uh, we have a, like where I am, I have my own little weather system in here. Just, just because where I am located topographically, it's just so oh, not, strange. Not just your own special weather. They're like, they did, Trump didn't give you your own weather system. I, I You know, I, I think I should have, you know, my own weather station here. Yeah, the Van, no, the Van Helsing weather phenomenon. Yeah. That'd that work. could be a thing. Maybe it's that. Maybe I have a bubble over my house. Well, yeah. Mm. Anyway, you live, you live in one. Yeah. Ooh. Ooh. Anyways. Uh, hey, I, before we go on, uh, do you like the new audio? The new what? New audio. Do I sound better? I don't think you could ever sound better. Your voice is just perfect as it is. Yeah, but I've been um, I've been up, upgrading the. Um, I have to agree. You do sound better, Steve. I, I've been upgrading the home studio. So really. Um, yeah, new microphones, headphones, the whole system. Okay, that's the deal. I was thinking about that, too, because, you know, people <laughs> don't like my voice as it is. But, uh, yeah, they, they – I yeah, anyway. So I was thinking about redoing it. New PC, new microphone, new yeah, all that shit. So. This year I've spent so much time in, in online webinars and Zooms and, you know, I think that is going to be the future. So um, I thought maybe I should uh, get with the flow and get the equipment up to scan, up to standard. So what did you get? I'm curious. Uh, it's a desk-mounted USB microphone. Um, Is it like on a stand? Yeah, like you see on the, all the videos, you know, all these big lumping great microphones. That oh, yeah, yeah, those are so cool. They're really cool. And, and the headset, is it wireless oh, or wired? No, no, it's just uh, ordinary uh, headphones. Yeah, see, I have the the headset, which is the mic and the. Well, that's what thing. I've been using for the last yeah. years. Mine is uh, wireless though, which is cool. Yeah, well, mine was wired for years, and then I switched to wireless. And Ooh. but I was listening back to us on the show, and I, I you know, I thought oh, I could sound better than that. Yeah, it just I sounds say that. <laughs> about me, not about you. you no, but you know, it, it, but it just sounded a bit. I I could have done better, and I thought, well, you know, we're going to be spending a lot more time online. Right. So um, and I think that maybe this is the way to go. Yeah. So make the most of it. Yeah. So we're actually doing a couple of live events, which is really amazing. We haven't done really anything 
since March. And so I have a murder mystery that we're doing and uh, also a live workshop at Circles of Wisdom. Uh, Jim and I are doing on EVP. So that's coming up this month. So it's going to be interesting. It's so funny. He's got this like huge, gigantic room, but under the um, guidelines, we could have like 10 people in it. It's we're rapidly heading back into lockdown. Uh, I'm sorry to hear that. Yeah. But, but it yeah. is what it is. Just mm. providing we get to go on vacation. Yeah, that's great. Uh, so the borders are still open between you and Ireland? and uh, Well, the borders are still open between South Wales and North Wales, um, so we can still get there, and uh, unless anything dramatically changes in the next 10 days. Uh-huh. So fingers crossed. Uh, but so I... it's not looking good. <laughs> oh, sorry to hear that. Hey, Anyways... Uh, we we did a show a while back, which was on what the heck was it on? I can't even remember. <coughs> Excuse me. Um, did it, was it a involve BBC production? Oh, the um... <coughs> excuse me, R.F. Bertram Newton. Yes, yes, which was really interesting, mm. and we got a lot of good feedback on it. I'm I'm pleased because um, it was one of two recordings that um, that were made. Um, mm-hmm that uh, were done around about the same time. The the second one, of course, was the, probably the much more famous. Um, the and we, We've included extracts from um, the second one on, a, on odd occasions. Um, in previous shows, the the uh, the sounds of, that were recorded inside uh, Borley Church. Uh-huh. Um, so we've used extracts of... Um, but we've never used the... Uh, or played, played the entire 30-minute recording. You know, I enjoy it because it's like, you know, it's it's like stepping back in town, time and seeing how, you know, things were done then and not, you know, running around the dock with infrared cameras. And, and uh, of course, everybody sounds like they're, yeah, and everybody sounds like they're from Downton Abbey. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> okay. That's true, too. <laughs> Which, extra points. Wife and I are watching Downton Abbey now, so, again, so, uh, yeah. Anyway, so why don't you do the setup for, for me on this, uh, for us on this um, well, much as I'd like to, um, yeah, um, well, I, I, I don't think, do we, we, I don't think we really need to introduce Borley Rectory, though, do we? The, well, uh, we don't, because you never know, I was the guy, in all fairness, and I'm not, do? like, bragging or anything, we do have lots of new listeners oh, okay, then. tuning in, two, and so, two, two, uh, three, although we've done past shows, some people don't know, especially here in the States and other parts of the world. Well, they should. Um, but but a potted history, uh, Borley Rectory, which has been described um, and is universally known as the most haunted house in England, um, was a building built in the 1860s, around the time the Americans were scrapping in the Civil War. Um, and it was built by the uh, rector of uh, the village of, or the hamlet of Borley, tiny, tiny little village on the borders of Essex and... Um, um, uh, I can't remember the other county off the top of my head. Um, but nonetheless, he built this rambling uh, manor house, I suppose you would call it, brick-built building, um, which which was reputedly built um, on the site of a monastery or a convent. Stories vary. And right from the get-go, uh, the building had a reputation for being haunted. Uh, the, the, t- the description we call it, or we know it as, the most haunted house in England, is the title of a book that was written in 1940 um, by, the, by the notable ghost investigator, Harry Price. Um, but he didn't use the title. Uh, he didn't create the title. Um, during one of his early visits to to the uh, site, um, he asked to be taken to the rectory at Borley, and it was actually the, the uh, taxi cab driver who said to him, oh, you mean the most haunted house in England? Uh, yeah. And Price then used that as the title of the book because the house already had a, a, a powerful reputation for being haunted. Um, amongst the many uh, phenomena that took place at Borley during the more than 10 years uh, of the investigation that ranged from uh, that commenced in 1929 and ended with Price's death in uh, 48 
but there was an active 10-year uh, period when it was investigated mm -hmm. because, unfortunately, the building was seriously damaged by fire um, in 1939 and uh, was subsequently demolished a couple of years later. Uh, uh, but it had the full range. It had apparitions, it had headless horsemen, headless coachmen, uh, phantom nuns, writing on the wall, poltergeist activity, apports, skulls appearing and disappearing. I love it. Um, animal ghosts. In fact, there are not many phenomena that we, you know, that investigators look at. That Everything except for talking mongoose, huh? Everything except the talking mongoose, uh, which which was another another case somewhat distant. But uh, after the building was demolished and, and Harry Price died in 1948, uh, whilst writing a third uh, volume of uh, his accounts of Borley Rectory, um, the haunting seemed to have transferred across the way to the churchyard and to the oh. church itself at Borley. And in the 1960s and 90, through the 1970s, uh, many uh, investigators uh, visited and claimed to have seen the continuing apparitions, uh, the headless coachman and the coach, the phantom coach, and uh, the apparition of the nun. Uh, but, but the church seemed to have its own unique and uh, special brand of... Of spirits and ghosts that haunted it that was slightly different and separate from those of the rectory and um, amongst the many groups that uh, investigated down the years was one group called the Enfield uh, Paranormal Research Society or the Enfield Research Group they had different names they had nothing whatsoever to do with the Enfield poltergeist uh, apart from geographically coming from a similar location. And this, this of course, predates the Enfield poltergeist um, case. But they, they were joined by uh, the BBC, and um, oh. they made a radio documentary um, of their visit to Borley Church, not Borley Rectory. Mm -hmm. And uh, we can play it in its entirety. Okay, so this is... Uh... This is going to be intriguing. I've never heard the whole thing myself, so I'm, I'm looking forward to it. So, uh, Roy, when, whenever you want, you can uh, start the uh, recording, and uh, Steve and I will be back and comment it afterwards. So. On the borders of the counties of Essex and Suffolk near Long Melford is the site of the most haunted house in England, Borley Rectory. Since it was built in 1863 by the Reverend H.D. Bull, it's been plagued with psychic happenings. And these events have been witnessed and experienced by more people than any other alleged haunted house anywhere in the world. The late Harry Price, a psychical researcher of some fame, undertook a painstaking and thorough investigation of Borley, witnessing many of the phenomena himself. This work is recorded in two of his books, The Most Haunted House in England and The End of Borley Rectory. As a haunted house, Borley Rectory had everything. It was a gaunt Victorian building, which had been added to from time to time. Everyone who lived in the house, and literally hundreds of visitors, claimed that they felt, heard, or saw things which could not be explained by normal means. The catalogue of events is so varied, it covers almost the entire field of psychic happenings. They include the movement and sometimes materialisation and disappearance of objects, the ringing of bells, despite the fact the wires had eventually been cut, the opening and closing of locked doors, inexplicable noises, and curiously, odours, sometimes pleasant, sometimes decidedly unpleasant, like the smell of decaying corpses. Many people claim to have seen a phantom coach and horses near the house, and probably the most famous ghost of all is the Borley Nun. Strangely enough, the destruction of the rectory was predicted in a seance, and in February 1939, the place was completely gutted by fire, which seemed to start spontaneously while the building was unoccupied. After the fire, Harry Price continued his investigation. He excavated the cellars, and here he unearthed part of the skull of a woman. Assuming that this belonged to the ghostly nun, 
he gave it a Christian burial at Liston Churchyard, and it was assumed that peace would reign over the troubled site. But did it? Geoffrey Groom Hollingsworth and Roy Potter do not believe that this is the case, and since March 1970 they've been investigating both Borley Church, which is also alleged to be haunted, and the site of the rectory. They're dedicated down-to-earth people who've spent hours and hours on the project, often during freezing weather conditions. They've also gone out of their way to fill in the biographies of the people who originally lived there. They were particularly interested in the members of the Bull family, and their investigation showed that previous biographers had not been very accurate with their facts. Uh, we decided the Bull family really had never really been delved into properly. When we say properly, uh, various people had taken the Bull family and got dates completely wrong, names completely wrong, and we decided that, well, it would be well worth going to the history of the Bull family, because they featured so prominently at Borley regarding their manifestations there. So, um, after travelling many hundreds of miles, viewing dozens of people, and by sheer fluke, we bought a diary. Well, it was written by the eldest Bull girl, Caroline Sarah Elizabeth Bull. And of all the, the Bull girls, she was the only girl that married. And uh, she wrote this diary when she was 21 years of age. And uh, in 1885, the rectory was a very, very happy place. Although uh, Papa, in those days, knew all about the, uh, the nuns and uh, used to sit many hours in, in the uh, summer house on the lawn. In fact, he erected it to watch the nun along the wall. Coming back to Caroline, yes, uh, is, is there any record of psychic happenings in the diary? Uh, we, uh, yes, she had a very, 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 very strong influence over moving chairs. Mind you, everybody we have interviewed uh, has said that the Bull family were not a strange family, they were a Victorian family. And what they said could be taken as absolute gospel truth. They weren't living in another world. They were down-to-earth people. Today, the villagers are reticent to talk about the happenings at Borley. And this is quite understandable. The publicity which followed Harry Price's investigations drew crowds of tourists to the area. Unfortunately, some of these people misbehave quite badly, causing damage to property and making life difficult for the residents. But the investigators did manage to gather some eyewitness reports. One man travelling home at night had a terrifying experience. He was coming on his motorbike and, uh, to his amazement, coming across the field, across the road, into the rectory ground, was a coach and horses uh, with coachmen on, uh, and uh, it passed. he went right through it, actually. He got a terrible cold sensation. But this experience was not unique, for during the last war, a soldier had an identical encounter. Apparently, he also was on a motorbike as a dispatch rider, uh, and he didn't know anything at all about Borley. And he was coming up to Borley Church, up the hill, toward the rectory on the left and the church on the right, when, to his amazement, just the same thing happened again. Uh, he saw this coach and horses coming along across the field uh, and passed right in front of him, because he, he, he went right through it too. He disclosed it to his wife, but uh, he didn't like telling anybody else because he felt such, a, such an idiot. But then he did a bit of investigation. He asked uh, one or two villagers in Borley, this was during the wartime, and, uh, and they said, oh, yes, uh, that's right, that's the coach and the horses of Borley, and it's coming along the old uh, river road. Like many of the investigators before them, Potter and Groom Hollingsworth experienced a wealth of psychic events for which they have no rational explanation. The first thing we ever did come across there were the footsteps on the road. Past the, we where we were, we had the car parked, past the church gate, they got in, up to about in line with the church cottage, and then they ceased. We got, only got this twice, um, but it was definitely footsteps. Recording the supernatural can be a costly business, particularly if the spirit at the other end of the microphone doesn't seem to want to be taped. An expensive tape recorder was set up in the porch of Borley Church, and left running unattended. After some minutes, there was a loud crash in the porch. The two volunteers keeping watch on the church were so frightened they daren't go forward to see what had happened. Instead, they asked for help via their walkie-talkies. By this time, I got in touch with Roy and he came along. And he said, well, come on, we'll get straight down to the porch. And of course, we went straight down to the porch. And to our dismay and horror, on the porch floor, a bit of stone, worse luck for us, was our tape recorder, which was, uh, well, it was pretty well battered. And all the tape had come off the reels, it was all over the place. And we could never really account uh, what happened, because there certainly wasn't anybody knocking about. 
Since the demolition of the rectory, an orchard has been planted on the site. But this doesn't seem to have removed the cause of the hauntings, for a wide variety of noises have been heard there, including raps, a panting dog, the sound of smashing crockery, and heavy furniture being moved about. And it was here that the investigators had a very odd experience indeed. And the, the, here again, it was moonlight. The funny thing is that the most of the time things have happened at Borley, but there hasn't been a full moon. Uh, this time we were in the garden of the bungalow. Uh, there's a small fence which runs along by the side of the bungalow, which separates the ground of the bungalow from where the rectory was. We were stood there, very, very quiet, and all of a sudden we heard this thudding in the rectory grounds. It was kind of thud, thud, thud and a most peculiar sound which we couldn't account for at all. And then we saw the, the fruit trees are growing actually where the rectory stood. The fruit trees, the branches of the fruit trees moved. Uh, and there was no wind at all, it was absolutely still. But the most remarkable thing of this uh, was that something came to the fence and it was an almighty thump. And that's the only time I've ever seen my colleague Roy here step back. At first we, we thought it might be some animal or wildlife that was moving about so we, we threw stones in the in the vicinity of the sound in case it was nine but hoping it would scurry away but this didn't perturb it at all it just carried on in the general direction towards the fence and then as it came towards the tree this tree seemed to shake about a bit so we looked out to see if anything was down there we saw nothing and then there was this great big bang on the fence and that is when i stepped back thinking what is it? Is something going to come over? Yet we saw nothing at all. Oh, uh, another, another peculiar thing. Now this wasn't formal. This was, uh, it was misty. It was a very misty night. Uh, this was somewhere about three o'clock in the morning, and we were all concentrating on the London's walk. When all of a sudden we heard voices. I should say girls' voices and men's voices, and there was laughter and merriment. But somehow we didn't think much of the time. And, and in fact, one uh, of the team said, "Oh God, there's somebody coming the roadway at three o'clock in the morning." So with that, we went down towards the roadway, and there wasn't anybody about on the road whatsoever. And when I walked towards the hedge bordering the road, the voices seemed to be concentrating on the hedge, just like coming along. But um, this is the tragedy. This happened the week after we'd had that incident with the tape recorder in the church porch, and we hadn't got any tape recorder with us. Um, and then these voices carried on, carried on. They, they were very clear. Very, very clear. So much so, Roy wasn't at all satisfied about this. Oh, he said, there must be somebody down the road. So he got in his car, and he coasted down. He didn't put the engine on. He coasted down the hill. He stayed down there and got his walkie-talkie out and said, there's nobody down here whatsoever. There's nobody along the Long Melford Road. I quite believe this because it's 3 o'clock in the morning. We thought it might be somebody coming home from a dance. You know, we thought with the sound of travel props from the Long Melford Road across the river, and that, that would be... Anyway... We weren't really satisfied with this. We then tried the following visit. We tried an experiment out. And this time, we got two of the team to go down on the long Melford Road and to shout to see whether we could really hear them. But we couldn't hear them at all. Another strange thing we had only once was the smell, wasn't it? Oh, yes. It was, a very, it was very windy. It was, it was about, what, um, 11 o'clock, wasn't it? 11 o'clock before midnight. And it was only confined to a 10-foot square. And you'd yes. think that if you step out of this 10-foot area, with the wind blowing, you'd smell it. But you could corner this square off by with four of us, and it was only in this particular well, square you could smell it. Well, I would call it an, 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 an odd odour. Now here is a description of the sighting of a ghost by these two men. This sighting lasted over 12 minutes. It was no mere fleeting impression, no imagination. This really happened. They actually saw the ghost of the Borley Nun. Listen now as Geoffrey Groom Hollingsworth takes up the story. I was stood in one corner of their garden, looking down towards where the nuns walk started. And the night was rather chilly, but I felt exceptionally cold, and I got a queer sensation. And I happened to look down to the corner, the opposite corner of the garden from where I was stood, and I saw this figure approaching. I couldn't discern what it was properly. And then I could see it was definitely somebody with a cow and habit. Well, I thought now, you know, suddenly pulling my leg over, you know, and all of a sudden this figure seemed to glide across their garden. Well, I was still rather sceptical until it came to the fence and hedge 
which, uh, which bordered their garden. And then it went through there without making any noise whatsoever. So I thought, well, now, the nearest one I can call to here and get here as quick as possible would be Roy, who was on the road. So I contacted Roy. In the meantime, the figure turned round, came back again, crossed the garden, and disappeared through the garage that they have. And I thought, oh, good God, it's too late. He won't see anything, because that'll probably be the finish. The figure then came out from the garage and came with about 12 feet off me. I was able to observe uh, the figure properly, which was a nun in a habit, but the habit was grey. Uh, the face, from what I could see, wasn't of a young novice, as people previously said before. I would say a woman somewhere in the 60s. And Roy must have seen exactly the same thing, because he stopped absolutely dead. And then the nun went through the hedge again. He then came quietly and joined me, and we managed to climb over and follow her, keeping about 12 feet behind. And this was the most interesting point here, because when she had crossed this hedge, she then came across a ditch the uh, owner of this rectory cottage had dug. There was no water in it. Uh, there was a plank by the means you could get across. Uh, she went across there, just as though the, the whole thing was filled in. Well, Roy and I managed to scramble over the, 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 the plank that was there. We then kept her within sight, or about 12 feet, and then she disappeared through a pile of bricks that this man had got in the back of the garden, all stacked up about 15 foot high. She disappeared through there, and that was the last I saw of her. Well, were you frightened when you saw this ghost? Well, no. <laughs> Uh, neither was a fright. Now, I will say this, that uh, I'm not bragging about this, but uh, I don't think there's anything to be afraid of in this... Uh, because, well, in this instance, I didn't feel any, any kind of animosity or any... Uh, it, was a, it was a sensation, very close sensation, but it was peaceful. It was tranquil. But uh, Roy here isn't afraid of anything. I think he's less afraid than I am. After listening to a description like that one, we had to admit we felt very sceptical about the whole thing. Were these men pulling our legs? Or did these things actually happen? The only way to get an answer was to join them on their next visit to Borley. We decided to arrive just before midnight, not because this is supposed to be a bewitching hour, but to offset the chance of other people being in the area who might disturb us. We selected the church for our first investigation, and before doing anything else, we searched the building thoroughly. Now we're just going into the vestry. No, there's nobody here. That's a cupboard. That's locked. There's certainly no human being in the church. We've searched the entire church now. After this, we placed a cassette recorder by the altar, and then two of us took up station in a pew at the opposite end of the church and instructed the others to lock us in. It was an eerie experience, and there certainly were some odd sounds generated, including loud and small raps. During our vigil, we'd heard an odd sort of bump sound originating near the altar. This was picked up by the recorder at that end of the building, and was so strange we've repeated it three times for you to hear. So as to be absolutely certain that none of the team were in any way responsible for these sounds, we then locked two cassette machines into the church, one by the altar and the other at the opposite end of the building by the main door. And then we sealed the church and kept a watch around it for the next half an hour. It was during this period that the ghost decided to make its presence known, and to our utter astonishment we recorded the sound of it opening a door, but a door which doesn't exist. It's interesting to note that the cassette machine placed by the main door picked up this sound as well, but at a much fainter level. And so we had a pretty good idea of where it had originated. It was obvious that the noise couldn't have come from the main door to the church, and so we immediately paid attention to the only other door in the building, the chancel door. The noises that we picked up on the previous recording seem to have come from this door. It's got a curtain over it. 
doesn't look as though it's been moved. Now, can you try sliding that bolt back to see what sound it makes? had changed considerably, and the following week we returned to Borley Church to continue the investigation. We entered the building at about half past twelve, but the atmosphere within seemed quite normal. So normal, in fact, that we remarked about it, and the first half-hour's recording proved to be negative. For the second session, we set up a semi-professional stereo tape recorder with two high-quality microphones one of which was placed near the altar and the other about halfway down the aisle in the centre of the building. And in addition, a cassette machine was also set up by the altar. Having thoroughly searched the building, we started the machines running and locked them in. And as we did so, we felt a change in the atmosphere. One of the team said he felt as though he's being watched by somebody, and we all felt cold. This run proved to be very interesting. But after a few minutes, the microphone placed in the centre of the church picked up a clatter, as though some object had been thrown down near it. For some reason, which we cannot explain, a considerable amount of static seemed to be generated, just before and during the sound. A few minutes later, the recorder began to pick up static again. And then there were the faint sounds of something moving about in the vicinity of the altar. The next sound was quite unexpected, and it sent a chill through our marrows. For the microphone in the centre of the church picked up quite clearly what obviously is a human sigh. This is so remarkable, we've repeated it three times at a slightly slower speed. The humming in the background is the fans of electric heaters warming the building. During the following session, the cassette recorder jammed completely, and somehow the tape was pulled out and strewn about all over the altar. It seemed as though this was an indication that our presence was resented, and as we feared that damage might occur to the tape machine, we packed it away and left a replacement cassette machine by the altar. This was not a top quality product and it tended to pick up the sound of its own motors running. Nevertheless, it recorded some very strange sounds. First of all, there was a sort of whirring noise. We thought that perhaps this sound might have been made by some animal. There didn't seem to be any other explanation for it. But the next one ruled that theory out. At about a quarter to four in the morning, we recorded the sound of the door being opened again. Although this was similar to the previous one, it lacked the squeak of the bolt. After this, we decided to break the sequence of visits and to try again during the summer. We wanted to check to see if the warm, dry conditions had any effect on the haunting. For security reasons, we kept the date of our visit a secret, and as an additional safeguard, we changed our minds a couple of times, finally setting off in July. It was a very dark evening, but warm enough for us not to have to wear top coats. We started recording at about 1am, and the tapes revealed just the natural ambience of the building and nothing else. There was not a single click or rap audible. But as we entered the church at about a quarter to two, we all felt a change in the atmosphere. It's hard to describe the sensation. Some of us felt tingles running through our bodies. Others claimed they felt there was a presence in the building. We certainly felt that the next session would produce a result. And it did. It started with the sounds of movement somewhere near the altar.
This was followed by the sound of a door shutting. But once again, a door which doesn't exist. After this, there was about ten minutes silence, when only the natural ambience of the building and the cassette recorder motor could be heard. And then, there was a crash, as though something had been knocked over. Then we became aware of an increase in the background noise on the tape, and another strange sound occurred. It ended with a kind of pop. This was followed by a much louder pop or explosion. We've amplified this and repeated it three times. The following sound occurred ten minutes later, and it really sent shivers down our spines. It was the sort of effect one imagines haunted houses to produce. It originated just in front of the altar rail, and yet the floor there is of stone. If those were footsteps, they must have belonged to a very large and powerful man. Eight minutes later, there was another sound generated, but we have no idea what it represents. We returned to the church the following August, and during the small hours of the morning, we all observed a glow around the chancel door, as though a phosphorescent aura were being generated. This night, the ghost made its presence known by producing some more sounds, which ended with a very frightening grunt or sigh. Listen as this sigh is repeated. For the fifth visit, we decide to man the church throughout the entire night. On previous occasions, we seem to get the best results by leaving the equipment locked into the empty building. We'd thought that perhaps the human presence had some adverse effect on conditions. At about half past four in the morning, three of the team kept a vigil from the choir stalls adjacent to the altar, and this proved to be a memorable and frightening occasion. Once again, the church became cold, despite the fact it was a warm summer's night. There were numerous clicks and raps from the vicinity of the font, and at one time we heard a sound as though heavy timbers were being crushed, but in the darkness we couldn't see what was happening. Then we began to observe tiny points of light hovering in the curtain behind the font and on one of the pews about a quarter of the way down the church. At first, we thought we couldn't believe our own eyes and we broke the silence to speak about it. I think I must be getting tired of that. I keep seeing things. And Jerry, are you watching Peter with the curtain light? Yes, that's where I'm seeing them. That's why the floor. It lights up the floor as well. The main one is up in the curtain. Eh? On the right hand side, right in the curtain. They're tiny specks, aren't they? They're like, as you say, they're all like fireflies. Oh, yeah. What's it like? Yes. Yeah. 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 Very curious, isn't it? Yeah. Yes, there's one up here again then. Yeah. No, you're not seeing things, Peter. The three of us can see them, so it obviously exists, whatever it is. It's a strange phenomenon. 
Yeah, just like little white points of light flashing. I thought it was my eyes going funny. After a while, the lights began to approach us, and we all felt apprehensive. We were locked into the building, and we knew that there were no other human beings inside with us. As we watched the lights, they changed into long strips. And then, something threw an object at us. It's a strip this time, isn't it? It's a strip. Now, that was fantastic. We've no idea what that was. It certainly made all of us jump. It's curious that that seems to have been tied up with you're getting colder and colder. It's like a build-up of power. It's very cold in the church now. Very cold indeed. Top of my head's gone quite cold now. Honestly, I think if I had hair up there, it would be standing on end. Immediately after this, we conducted yet another painstaking and thorough search of the church, but we could find nothing to account for the incident. There doesn't seem to be any evidence that whatever produced those sounds was trying to communicate directly with us, although it might be argued that the throwing of that object and the violent attack on the tape recorder left in the porch indicate that perhaps somebody or something resents the presence of investigators. Perhaps we shall never know the answer. One thing is certain, for despite exorcism attempts, seances, and the burial of that skull fragment, something remains. And although the rectory is no longer there, the surrounding area can still be called... Right. And that's it, it pretty much fades out then, because the I think the last minute or two is missing. But, um, yeah, typical British understatement. Um, when the when the noise when the object gets thrown towards them, with the uh, oh I say that made that made me jump. If I had hair, it would probably be standing up by now. But uh, I have to take exception um, with one thing that they do with which they they do on the recording, which a modern investigator because we investigate in exactly the same manner as as uh, as those guys. Um, mm -hmm. With one exception, we don't all sit there going. Can you see those lights? Oh, look, they're getting bigger. They're getting closer. Um, if any of our team did that, they would be um, summarily executed. Excommunicated. Summarily ex executed, I think. Oh, even actually. worse. Yeah. yeah. But it's uh, intriguing. I, I thought it was. It's fascinating. Know. The whole thing is fascinating. I, I've, I've been fortunate. You know, I've visited the site. I've spent. Mm -hmm. uh, I've spent nights at the church. Um, I've had no experiences there, but uh, nonetheless, it's nice because it, it it means that I can sort of visualise the inside of the church and you know where the recordings right. were, the porch, and, and we can which, all guess. Um, well, there are there are you know for those that are interested. I mean, first of all, that recording, if you want to hear it again, you can listen to the podcast. It's also available. Uh, there's, a, there's a version of it on YouTube. Mm -hmm. um, but you can also, um, I mean, there are countless, countless um, sites dedicated to Borley Rectory, Borley Church, um, and I think actually the the village quite recently put on some um, like their own uh, village. Um, page, which has got nothing whatsoever to do with the paranormal, but contains some fantastic photographs of in and around the church itself. Oh, so, uh, so you can, you know, we we live in, you know, an era of uh, where we're all interconnected. Mm. I, I'd like to, you know, a couple of, you know, comments or questions or whatever. I'd like your take on certain things. Now, the the first thing is is the sounds. I mean, the mm. sounds were very distinctive, very. And and those have been reported throughout history in in many hauntings. Mm -hmm. uh, any clue of what your thoughts are on on those? None whatsoever. I mean, they are they are obviously real and genuine sounds. Of that, there is mm. there, could, there, there could be no arguing um, that they were real and genuine sounds. And I would say that the the possibility of these being um, hoaxed in any way are at the lower end of the scale. Uh, okay. right down at the bottom end of the scale. Now, what's intriguing about the footsteps is, um, and we, we've played them a long, long time ago on the show, is um, a case that we investigated nigh on 20 years ago now. We have, from another location, a similar walking um, 
sound, which we described as footsteps, and it sounds remarkably similar. Um, the, the two could be, you know, if you played the two of them side by side, one could almost be a continuation of the other. The same cadence, the same type of beat, um, footfall, which we took to be heavy foot. In fact, the soundtrack is called Heavy Foot um, in our yeah. archive. Um, oh, that's true. And, uh, you know, that that was made. I, we had, I hadn't never heard the Borley recording up to that point. It was just coincidence. So, what about, I mean, what, what, what can you surmise or even theorize about some of these sounds? Like, like for instance, the opening and closing of a door that isn't there. And, and there are other things, you know, where objects you, or things fall and there's mm-hmm. nothing f- that's fallen. I mean, well, any, any idea of what your thoughts well, are? No, on? I mean, uh, my first thoughts are let's, let's look at the physics of sound. Sound is caused by vibration of matter. Uh, which you know, which transfers to the air, which then moves to our ears or a microphone. You know, these that is that is how physics works. It's so. so if the sounds were recorded by a microphone, then and were heard by human ears, and they were simultaneously and coincidentally with one another, then something created. The sound, an event took place which made the air move and which caused the fluctuations in air pressure, which are the sound vibrations. And as you know, sound is something that I'm particularly fond of um, in terms of the par- it, it, its, its relationship with the paranormal. So there is absolutely no doubt that some event took place. Now, the, the curious, the curiosity is no observed event took place. Yes, that's the thing. Now, that doesn't mean, that isn't necessarily the same thing. Um, an event must have occurred for sound to exist. Um, you can't, the, the laws of physics are immutable. But, so, so an so event took place. Let me, let me the, add yeah. that to you. I, yeah. I agree with you. I, yes, an event took place. But, for instance, if we play a record, mm-hmm. we hear music, but there's no music being played. That well, that is a recording of a music that was played and and recorded onto that thing. It matters. It, it doesn't change the, the 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 basic premise that when you play music through a, a, some electronic device and you're listening to it through headphones, air is still moving between the headphone cone right, and right, okay. and your eardrum. So an event is still taking place and air is still being put into motion, which is being. Um, interpreted as sound or picked up as sound by the eardrum and by the microphone. So it could be a recording of some sort? For it instance, could be. Of footsteps. It, it could be a recording. Um, it could be, which, you know, that would explain why, why no event was observed. You know, we would, uh, you know, that's one possibility that you would. But then if we look at the context and the precautions that they went to now, what strikes me as slightly odd is why did they go? And this is the one question that I, I, I that does sort of tingle a few bells, if you like. Mm-hmm. Um, which is he he emphasises in the recording the lengths that they went to to preclude hoaxing, even changing their minds on a number of occasions. Yeah, like he did that on purpose. Now, <laughs> no. He said that for a reason, because people don't just say stuff for no reason at all. Now, that suggests that previously there may have been indications that somebody was playing pranks on them. Or or they actually were playing pranks on them. Or or, there's people who are just skeptical enough to, to say, well, that can't be real. Someone must have been pranking. Well, the fact he made he went to great pains to say this. Um, about hoaxing and switching times and dates. Um, now, that suggests that there may have been some previous interference with their investigations. The village, the hamlet of Borley, is tiny. You cannot walk or, you know, go stand in, in Borley um, village without being noticed by the curtain-twitching, um, very small population who really don't take kindly to residents. And at that period in in history 
in time, back in the 70s, Borley was um, effectively under siege by ghost hunters. Um, there have been a number of BBC um, short documentaries and news items about the rectory and about the, um, uh, uh, the the ghost hunting ghost hunters that went there. The the village sign had been stolen innumerable times, and um, one does it does raise a question, a legitimate question, that you know is was somebody there pranking them, um, or you know. Uh, trying to interfere with their investigations. Well, here's the thing, too, Steve. Is, for instance, if if you said, okay, you know, they said they took every precaution. Well, I assume they had no like security guard outside, right? No, no, no. There was there was the three or four, three of them, I think. Three. Yeah. Three. So, for instance, say if they they got locked in, which they said mm-hmm. they did, and they heard these noises. So, in order to prevent pranking, they decided to hire a security guard or outside. Now, you know that somebody would criticize critic and say, well, you know, those were created by the security guard. Uh, you know, that's the way yeah. people are. They don't want well, to believe in anything or don't want to no, no, I mean, have their mind up that they're going to do that. Yeah, stop it. You sound like Jim Nichol. Um, Thank the, you. It, I know the location, I, I, you know, and I, I know the case really quite well um now somebody locked them in the church they were unable to get out so there was another party there so there was Uh, one yeah okay now that could have been the rector it could have been the warden it could have been um yeah but somebody went there knowing they were there uh let them in lock the door close the door lock the door and then said i will return in the morning now you know, that person may have gone home, they may have thrown the key on the table and said, them bloody idiot ghost hunters, they're back in, they're back in the church, um, I'll have to get them out in the morning. Now, it could be that he or he'd gone to um, the, the, pub. the pub, the pub. <laughs> And uh, you know, there were, there are already, you know, even in Price's day, there were many examples where, or many occasions when pranking took place at Borley. Um, you know, villagers playing tricks on on passersby, and mm. um, so it does. You know, that's a possibility that, and unfortunately, being locked in the church, they are in no position to rush outside and ascertain whether there's anybody creeping round in the grounds. Unless, of course, you put remote cameras on the outside. Well, <laughs> yeah, but they didn't have that sort of technology. I know. I noticed yeah. that because they couldn't see anything. They said no. they said that several yeah. times. So they, they, you know, they didn't even equip themselves with a torch, flashlight. Um, you know, there are there are problems, but nonetheless. You know, we can't supply the answers. We can't say it was hoaxed. We can't say... We, I think we can say with a high degree of confidence that they aren't perpetrating a hoax. Yeah. Um, that, but I don't think we, be, we can be as confident in saying that they were not the victims of a hoax. That's true. So, that's interesting, though. I mean, that's... It's a fascinating, unfortunately, fascinating it's, it's, case. It is. It's a, it's a, the, the whole thing was quite fascinating. And unfortunately, what we do, and you're always going to have that possibility, I guess, to assume that, you know, is there a perfect way of, to investigate, you know, how much, and no. how, I, I bet you no one does. It. No. <laughs> I don't think there is. Um, you know, we can, what we try and do is, uh, and in fact, you know, I, it's something I've been focused on for the last couple of months with the guide, the new guidance notes is considering you, you think about the loopholes and then you try and find ways of closing them. You know, could, could this happen? Could that happen? Could they, could this trick me or fool me? Or am I misunderstanding this or misreading that? And what precautions can I take to ensure that that doesn't happen or that, um, that doesn't affect the quality or or the results of the investigation. I mean that that's what it's like in many ways, like um, you know, like uh, investigating a murder or a police case because you are looking to find um, or in fact you put it in an analogy that, that, that you're directly. It was like the guys that built Apollo Eleven. 
Um, you know, they found faults and fixed them and found them and fixed them and found them and fixed them. They didn't know if the whole thing was going to ultimately work, but they'd, they, you know, they tested it and tested it and examined it and gone through procedures. And that's what you do as an investigator or a good investigator. You look at the case and you look, you consider all of the possibilities and then you test them and right. you, and then you see, you know, well, okay, I'm left with that. What could that be? Can I find a way of uh, eliminating, you know, uh, normal possibilities? Because know, what we hope we, to... We always have doubts in our minds, though. That was, of that course. Was so difficult. No, but then uh, every investigator should always have an element of doubt in the mind. Um, I'm not saying to, you know, to be sceptical, critically sceptical, but you should always be, um, well, I wonder if... Have I covered every possibility? Am I? You see investigators, you know, on their on their channels, or you, no, you hear you no, hear them talking. Me, I don't watch any of their crap. Well, thank you. you you hear them talking to us when when we have them as guests, and they say, yes. "Well, you know, we heard this noise, and we knew it. You know, we looked all around, and we knew it wasn't paranormal." But what without looking, you know, without getting off your. But, the other intriguing mm, thing, which is used quite common, and they used it in that that uh, uh, clip too, is that they say the atmosphere changed. Yeah. Well, how did it change? What, what I, I don't know, but I can relate it to one case that I did in Scotland. Uh, we were in a Scottish castle, and uh, I, I I don't I don't you know, it was the first time. But it's we happened can't quantify it. Is what I'm trying to say. We couldn't quantify it because, unfortunately, we were in no position on that one what, the first occasion it took place to mm-hmm. quantify it. We didn't have any equipment with us to be able to measure stuff. Um, but the atmosphere palpably changed. Yeah. Um, uh, you know, we have witnessed went, that too. But It felt dramatically cooler. Um, but, in adi- but in addition to that, there was something that you couldn't quite put, something intangible but there was some difference that, that we could sense. Um, so it's unquantifiable. Well, uh, we we didn't get the opportunity to try and quantify it, and I don't how, know. How would you quantify I, it? That's well, what I'm trying to get at. Well, you know, with the two minutes remaining and the, the umpteen years since it's happened, I don't think we've ever encountered it often enough for it to, to you know, if it was something that happened regularly, Something right. that we then we would be in a position to be able to devise experiments. Um, now, where do you, you know you you can't test for everything, and if something is that intermittent, I mean it's happened twice in mm-hmm. thirty years. You know, I could but spend. You hear that a lot, though. People say, "Oh, the atmosphere changed." Yeah, but that doesn't My mean my hair say... stood up. But that doesn't mean to say that you're going to be in the in 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 a position or have you know. But yeah, even I can, if we I can were, think of, say you knew the atmosphere was going to change, how would you quantify? It, is what I'm truly getting at. Well, I can think. You know, we we don't have the time, but I, I I think I can think of several experiments that I would like to run, including uh, tests on ele- on electric field measurements. Oh, that's a good choice. Yeah, and electrostatic measurements because they are already known. We can sense. You know, we can feel thunderstorms and changes in the electric uh, the electrical yeah. activity of the, of the atmosphere. So perhaps something within and the electric changes in drum and barometric yeah. pressure as well. Yeah. I'm not talking about electromagnetic fields. I'm talking about just the electrostatic field. Anyways, that field we, we've got to wrap it up. We're, we're running the to the point. end of it. This is something we should talk about and maybe even do an experiment and have some people do experiments for us. In other words, get people to do experiments and have them come on and let us know what their results or what they did, how they did the experiments and, and their results. I think that would be interesting to see it what... Would. It would. Providing they've got the money to be able to buy an, an e-static field meter. <laughs> I know that. But, I mean, other other experiments as well. I mean, we could do different things. Anyways, we do have to go. We so need anyways, to speak to our dollar store friend. Yes, there you go. So, anyways, we want to thank everyone for listening. Uh, and, you know, keep on listening. If you enjoy the show, uh, I'll become a patron as well. But, anyways, today's show is brought to you by Circles of Wisdom, 386 Merrimack Street in Methuen, Massachusetts, and the Gallant and Messier Family Law Group, 15 High Street in North Andover, Massachusetts. So, there you go. Anything else you want to add, Steve? No, all great and good. And just keep fingers crossed for the, the holiday. 
What the hell is that? The other show's starting. Good night. I guess. That's it. Come with us on a journey into the unknown, the unexplained, and the unbelievable. We will test your senses and challenge your beliefs. A world where science and religion clash. Or do they? You will meet real people and hear real stories, but you will not believe. You will witness strange sights and hear strange sounds, but you will not believe. This is the New England Ghost Project. Welcome to the 